Hi, and welcome to Life Origami podcast with Alan Late. And today we have a fresh interview with Kuti Mac. Hi, Kuti. Nice hey, to meet you. Hey, Alan. How are you, man? Doing good. So today we are discussing an interesting topic. I wanted to kind of uh, refresh the flow of interviews I had before and today touch the topic of how to make 2022 count to being the best version of yourself. And I think you're the man to talk about this topic today, especially touching our lifestyle, health, fitness, and we'll be diving in into your life experience and journey about how did you get into this place and then a big transition in your life. So that's that's a bit of kind of the ideas we're going to touch upon today. Let's dive in and um, tell us what is your background? Where are you from? All right. So um, depending on when you ask or how much you want to know, I've got the longest version and the shortest version. I'll try not to belabor people with too many gory details, but the simplest story on me is that, uh, you know, I, I do live in the United States. I'm in Washington, D.C., you know, the nation's capital. Um, but I was born abroad. I was born in Scotland. I was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Mm. Didn't spend a lot of time there, only a few months, but I uh, moved to London from there, spent a few years there, and then came to the States. I came to the States with a British accent. Um, my father, Nigerian, my mother of Nigerian descent, but a lot of her family and her schooling was in the UK. So that's what had me there. And my dad came to the States ahead of us so that I could be able, to, so, that, so that he could set up shop. For us, so that when we got here, we wouldn't have to, you know, go through as much of the transition as he did. And so, once he got it, once he set the table, then we came to the states and um and have been here ever since. Uh, I lost my accent when I was seven, and and from what I understand, what life has shown me is that the accent you have when you're about 12 years of age is the accent you're going to have for the rest of your life. So, mm. you know, I, I, I sound like to my cousins, I sound like a Yankee. <laughs> um, uh, some of my vocabulary every now and then, especially if I get really animated, will let people in the States know that I'm not absolutely from here. But, um, but for the most part, I pass. Oh, now, that's an interesting <laughs> perspective. That's an interesting yeah. I never but, knew actually that the, that the, um, accent catches on up till 12. I got lucky then, like from eight till 12, I lived uh, close to London, so my British accent caught on pretty fresh. Nice. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, so that's how it works. You've been living in the US from, uh, from early childhood. You grew up there. Uh, you went to school. You kind of raised yourself. Um, how did you find yourself in your first passion, in your first occupation? So in my first occupation, um, as you can see, music is... Uh, you know, it surrounds me literally. And it was the one thing I remember as a kid that I was never dissuaded from pursuing. If I decided I wanted to play drums, I got a drum set. If I decided I wanted to play guitar, I got a guitar. If I decided I wanted to play flute, I would get a flute. Um, I mean, I get two, <laughs> but I would at least get one, at least get that one shot. And uh, my parents never discouraged that. And so, and I just, music was the one thing. Well, I talk about these transitions, you know, even when I got to the States, it wasn't until I was maybe about 11 years old that I feel like I moved somewhere where we just stayed. You know, it's like, you know, father and mother were trying to figure out, okay, we're gonna live here or live here. And as they started doing better and establishing themselves here financially, you know, we moved to different neighborhoods and that seemed to be like an 18 to 24 month rinse and repeat mm. so I was bouncing around a lot and I was always having to reintroduce myself to people and it's interesting now to look back on it I'm 50 now and I look back on it and I can see how all of that moving around as much as I hated it as a kid 
I still hate moving. Like moving is still something that just just doesn't, I, I, it's not easy for me to do, just admittedly. However, uh, adapting to new situations, adapting to uh, life's ups and downs, and, you know, even when I don't like them, I find myself uh, on the plus side navigating them most times because I think it's just something I've been trained to do. So as far as finding myself in the music business, the one constant, in all of this moving and turbulence, the one thing I can remember that was always there beside me was my favorite songs, music. Mm. Yeah, it, it, you know, whether it was songs in my head that I would write and I started writing at a very early age or whether it was just songs on the radio. I, the music was always there. Music was always there. And when I went to, I, I wouldn't sleep in silence. I'd go to sleep with my radio turned on just a little bit. My parents used to hate it and I would just turn it down, but I'd always have music playing. So music literally marks all of my life's is the soundtrack to all of my life's memories. I can think of like I'm a big Prince fan, and I can up to most of up up through most of my adult life, I can literally track which Prince album was out by the year and the incidents that happened that year. And I and I and as opposed to looking at them like with oh that happened in 2001, or that happened in 1984. It's like what oh, happened when Purple Rain came out, or that happened when Sign of the Times came out. Like I I associate them with the albums. So music has been that important to me and. Wow. Even when I try to do the immigrant thing and uh, and you know get a college degree in a in a in a tried and true trade like science or medicine, I, I found myself graduating college and immediately pivoting to the music industry. The first chance I got, mm. uh, and once I got in, I what was, was there to stay. What What was the first like when you finished college? and you pivoted to music, what, what was the first thing you were drawn to? Like, what did you get into? So I, I got an internship. I got, well, I'll say this. My best friend, who I call my brother, my best friend, Reg, he had gotten an internship with a record company when we were, I think, in our second year, halfway through college. So I went, we both went away to college different places. When we, when we come back home for the summer, he had gotten an internship. And so when he got the internship, I would hang out with him. And that was the closest, and he and I, he and I are, like I said, we're, we're not related by blood, but you know, our, our bloodline is music. So the reason he's my best friend is because we both came together at like age 10, liking the same music obsessively. And none, none of our friends were that intense mm -hmm. about it. And we were, and so, and that still hasn't changed to this very day. So we're talking 40 years. And so he gets an internship with the record label. I'm hanging out with him. So I'm seeing people, you, you, you know, for the first time with regularity and I'm seeing the inner workings of the music business. And I was thinking, okay, here's a way I can kind of satisfy both the immigrant um, push to get a college degree. We didn't come to America for nothing. So you, you gotta make the most of it. You can't just be a nobody out here doing anything but then utilize my college degree on the business side of music because creatively he and I were writing songs from a very young age together. So we had dreams of being a band. Eventually we did it, but we had dreams of being a band and, and uh, being artists of our own, but seeing him in an internship, just for me is, is a reminder of anytime I see something, once I see it, even if I only see it once, that means it's real. If it's real, it can be real for me. So I tried to get an internship the next year and it didn't work out. I ended up interning in television though. So I was majoring in, mm -hmm. in communication at school. I, I got an internship with a television station, wound up having my own uh, TV show that summer as a host, and then figured, okay, I, I, what I figured was I would be on television. Here, here's my track. I was gonna be on television, 
get a job on MTV and then meet all the artists at MTV and then transition into the music business that way. So that way it would look legitimate because I got a a legitimate job coming out of college and then I would just swing it back to music. It didn't work out that way. (laughs) And so what ended up happening was I did get an internship eventually, but I got the internship after I graduated college. And here's the dirty little secret. Technically, you shouldn't have an internship if you already finished school. Like I I was in the, the summer immediately following my last year of college. I got an internship, but I, you know, we fudged some stuff up to kind of make it seem like I was still a student and, um, and, I, and I was in there. And basically internships in the music industry, especially in that era, were basically entry level jobs if you treated them properly. If you handled them responsibly, that was your door to being an entry level uh, executive or somebody on the business side of music. Um, and once I got in, I was like, my foot's in the door. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting out. And the advantage I had was because I didn't have studies to contend with my time, I was more available than any other intern. So I found myself just doing any and everything that was asked of me and then some, and then asking for work just to be able to be in. And once I was in and making a good impression, my whole thing was, oh, and we weren't getting paid. So it's an unpaid entry-level position. Now, mm-hmm. But my, my deal was as long as anybody that I worked with in that distribution company, uh, it was BMG Music at the time, anybody in that distribution house, if anybody in that distribution house was asked a question about me, that they could give a positive report about me. And that's all I asked. I said, you don't have to pay me a dime. At the time, CDs were the popular music format. So, and I used to buy CDs religiously. I mean, if I tw- turn the camera over here to my CD collection, you'll see thousands. I have thousands of CDs and this, and this is just a portion of my collection. So I, I was like, I'm already buying this music. So if you're giving me this music, that's already paid to me because it's one less dime I have to spend. And so what I was, so what I, um, so what I uh, was, was, so I say, they said they give me free music. As long as I was with them, I could eat for free. So those are two, two mm-hmm. things off the break. And then for me, all I asked in exchange for the extra work that I did was, just give me a good, a positive referral if a job ever opens up, you know, mention me first. And that happened. Um, I actually had the luxury um, a few months into my internship at BMG and, and with Arista, actually, I was Arista Records, specifically BMG Secondary. So um, what I actually was able to do, I was able to pick and choose. I was offered job offers and I'd, and, you know, I'd confer with, you know, my new mentors mm-hmm. and they say, well, this is a good job, but you know, some people say, Hey, you got a job, take it and then figure out figure the rest later. And some say, well, this is a good job, but you know, it's not going to pay you that much, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, you know, as long as I'm figuring this out, working for free while I still don't have the burdens of like adult life really pressing mm-hmm. on me, I'd rather hold out for a job that makes more sense. And so I held, I, I held out. I mean, within a few months I got offers and I was just like, no, thank you. Because they weren't paying a lot and there were shaky label situations. And then I got a job with uh, Scotty Brothers Records. And um, I'm trying to think who was on that label at the time. Weird Al Yankovic was probably the biggest star on that, on that label. Um, but uh, but um, they were revamping part of their, uh, their urban music division. And we had a breakthrough hit with this record called I Wish by Skilo. And um, I was instrumental in helping that record uh, blow up at radio and um, the video went viral on MTV and the combination of those two gave us a hit. And all of a sudden we were, you know, on the mm-hmm. same playing field as, you know, the, the, you know, the, the 
Fresh Prince and all these people, we, we were in the mix. And, and getting that MTV look meant that we were getting a lot of activity on MTV and participating in their events. So then I got a lot of exposure. And then from there, I was able to hop in and get on the labels. But I'm actually skipping it. I'm skipping yeah. a step though. I got with Bad Boy Records. When I was at Ad Arista, Bad Boy mm -hmm. Records headed by Sean, you know, P. Diddy, Puff Daddy. He's Puff Daddy when I was there. So Puff, Puff, um, Puff started a label and Clive Davis, one of the you know, biggest record executives in in the history of the music industry, he ran Arista Records. I was interning at Arista Records. And I will say this, having gone to college and come of age while I was in school, both academically and just socially, there was a confidence that I had that definitely other interns who were my peers were still kind of feeling their way into. Mm -hmm. But I came into the situation looking around and saying, hey, I've got a college degree. Some of the people that I was working for did not. I've written two theses. Some, some of these people did not. So mm -hmm. it wasn't hubris and it wasn't arrogance, but it was just the thing I knew who I was. So again, like I said, I knew what I wouldn't settle for, but I also knew, okay, I've got acumen and I know the music business anyway, because like I said, I've been studying it with my best friend since we were like 10. So I positioned myself in a sort of rogue way to be on Clive Davis's radar and Clive paired me, took a chance on me and paired me with um, Puff as he was starting Bad Boy. So on the ground floor, on a regional perspective, I was helping Bad Boy out on the East Coast and um, with promotion and marketing and some tour support. And instant legend, you know, Notorious B.I.G., Faith Evans, you know, uh, 112, Craig Mack. We, we came in the door and just like, we're on fire immediately. And the label itself was young because Puff is only maybe four or five years older than me. So, so it was already a young nucleus and there was this youth movement because most people that were executives and label heads at that time were seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years our senior. And so here we were just this young crew with amazing music that still stands to this day as classic. And, um, and so that was very fortuitous on my part, very serendipitous. Um, and that kind of good fortune has followed me through my life. I'm not oblivious to the fact that I've been very fortunate in that regard, but being fortunate and being skilled and qualified at the same time can take you miles. Here's a question to you, like in terms of your music career, what would you say was your peak at, you know, the peak right before you understood there needs to be a shift? What was that I, peak? You know, that's a good question. Because when I review my career in music, there have been a bunch of different hats that I've worn throughout. I've been a manager, I've been an artist, I've been an executive, uh, been a songwriter, a producer, I've uh, booked talent, I've been an on-air, like I said, TV host for a split second. I did radio for a few years. Um, when Satellite Radio first started, Sirius XM and all that, I was there on, on the ground floor and I had my own show. Um, so there's, I've done a lot and, um, and have done well in almost every aspect of it. Peak, I guess it depends on how you keep score. If I would say peak in terms of earning, um, when I was an executive at Arista Records, that was probably when I was making the most money, had the most hit records that I was, you know, a lot of these plaques you see behind me came from that era. Um, 
Um, uh, so that that would probably be if, if I had to say if if I had to keep score financially, that was the peak. Now, th now the thing about the music industry was that it it always had a uh, a way of future casting what society is about to go through. And so the music, the music businesses, industrial revolution with digital technology and the recession that that caused in the music business in terms of how much money it was generating predated America and the world's economic downturn by about eight to 10 years. Uh, figuring out how to navigate that in real time, not with the world not being congruent, you see what I'm saying, was an interesting thing if you were really paying attention back then. And the skills that you acquired at that point in time to figure out how to keep your head above water and how to be nimble in that definitely served me to this very day. Um, so when I think about peak, I mean, when I was at my happiest, I was probably making the least. Mm. When I was at my happiest was when I was, like I said before, working for free, trying to figure out how I was gonna get in, um, being young enough to be a fan and an apprentice, but being qualified and positioned enough mm. to actually be affecting the music business with decisions and actions and objectives that, that I that I was mm. that I was delivering, um, and and then fast forward to after my Arista era, I um I and my brother Reg we uh we decided to just go in and um and uh. And start our and start our band that we've been talking about since we were 11 years old, and we did. We made a few records. We we got some buzz, got some local buzz. Um, it, it spreads some regional buzz. We got some national tours. We even went overseas for a split second, and you know, and musically the legacy still stands. You can you can pull us mm -hmm. up on you know streaming, and you'll see the albums there. You can go to YouTube, and if you if you if you're creative, you can find clips of us performing. And uh, to be able to have actually done that, we even we even launched careers of other artists, you know, wrote and produced their albums, and those artists are still performing to this day. So that legacy, you know, was able to establish itself. And I would say the only thing that was missing from that, in terms of just total joy, was that I knew what it was like to make real money, <laughs> and we weren't making it at the time, you know. Mm. So if 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 we had turned that corner and figured that out. I might have just that might have just been what I'd have been for the rest of it. Um, but okay. at, but at some point, um, I went back to working for the record companies. Let's take these two points. Like you were in the music industry, and all of a sudden, like today, we're talking the version of you that is in fitness, right? right. So it's not music. Now, what happened? Yeah, what happened in your life? that made you realize that a you maybe like maybe you want maybe you need but what was your state of happening that made you realize that this pivot needs to happen and is happening and how did you get into it i would love to say that i was the defining uh, factor in making the pivot uh but it was more life and the circumstances like i said the industry was very slow, I would even say is very slow to respond to change. And in a way I adopted that into 
un unwittingly adopted that into my lifestyle and habits. So when things would change, I would be stuck in whatever I was doing and trying to figure out when things would circle back as opposed to just being uh, nimble and pivoting in. But, but again, reinvention has been a tool, whether it's like I talked about earlier, whether it's me as a person coming here with a British accent and then losing it when I was seven to sound like the other kids around me to get to the next part of my life with as little uh, hindrance as possible, or whether it was pivoting from being an artist to being an air personality to, you know, being an executive or and then being a manager. Uh, circumstances around me honestly dictated that more so than I did. If everything just stayed status quo in terms of how much money we were making, how much money the industry was making, the success that the labels were having, if that all stayed status quo, I probably would have been a career lifer as an executive, to be frank. Um, one thing I will say though is, Throughout all of this, as a child, I was always athletic. I was, I've been in organized sports since I was eight years old, all the way up to about 19. And so it was a way of life for me, you know, more than just a diversion. I was an athlete. And so even when I wasn't playing organized sports as an adult, it still was habitual for me to, I won't say necessarily eat as healthy as I do now, but eat healthier than the next person, exercise more often than the next person. In the music business, I was sort of known as that fit guy, even though I had a wicked sweet tooth, <laughs> yeah, wicked sweet tooth. I was known for my desserts too back then. But um, but I was I was I was a I was a fit person. And um, in America, it's the most expensive thing you can do. The two things, the two most expensive things that can happen to you in America, unfortunately, are either a get sued or b get really sick. So anytime there were economic hiccups in the road, even when I was working in the music business, if I found myself in a position where I was like, okay, money is about to look a little different than it did last month. The first thing I buckle down and do is make sure I'm as healthy as possible so I don't have to pay the cost of getting sick. Um, so I went through a situation where I was a manager and um, as a manager, you only earn when your artist moves. If your artist has a tour or does something and you participate you know, on that financially percentage wise. But if the artist says, hey, I'm not, I don't want to go on tour. I'm not going to put out an album. Then you're just sitting still. And if you're sitting still as a manager, you're not making any money. And at that time, there were certain things going on in my life that dictated that I needed to have a little bit more control over my financial future and what was going on. When it was just me, it was like, you know, I, I could figure it out. But I started to, you know, have people in my life, you know, significant other and, you know, and what that future was going to look like and how I wanted it to look. And I was like, okay, I've got to figure something out for myself. Add to that as an incident that uh, my father had a blood pressure incident that almost killed him. And, you know, he's basically, seen, he's upright one day in the hospital for 10 straight days the next. And I'm at his side watching him flatline periodically. And... I was just on the cusp of some things in life that I selfishly wanted him to be around for. And the only way that that was gonna happen is if we figured out a way to keep him healthy. Now, he, he would exercise too, you know, you see him standing next to me, you know, he's David Banner, I'm the Incredible Hulk. You know, I'm not that big of a guy, but that's just how much more bulky and muscular I am compared to him. He was a very slight man at the time, um, but his eating habits weren't that great. And he had high, he had high cholesterol and what we, and what we as a family didn't know is he had high blood pressure. So the high blood pressure incident really comes to a head at this point um, and almost kills him. And 
I'm like, okay, I know how to exercise. He knows how to exercise. It's just lifelong habits, but nutrition, let's really figure out nutrition. And again, I didn't study nutrition to become a nutritionist. I just wanted to be my dad's nutritionist. <laughs> like I strictly did it just so that my dad could live. It had nothing to do with anything else. As a, and in my head, I was a music industry professional. And um, what happened from there is that, you know, when you hear something real, true, and good, whether it's a great song or some information, the first thing you want to do is kind of tell somebody. Like, man, did you know? Fill in the blank. So as I was studying holistic nutrition, I would learn things and I'd go, oh, wow, you can reverse aging if you do this. Or if you eat these foods, you know, it'll, it'll help with, with high blood pressure. You can lose weight easier if you do this than this. So I'm so as I'm already kind of active and 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 fitness inclined, as I'm learning this new information, not only am I you know giving it to my dad and helping him with it, but I'm just telling anybody who who wants to know. And some people didn't even want to know, but they would just you know I would just say it anyway. You know you should stop eating this and eat that. And and so I so again I even as a layperson I became that person that people would come to about how to exercise efficiently, how to eat nutritionally, and then. When I got to that point with the artist I was managing where we were at an impasse in terms of activity, I, was I just happened to be talking to one of my friends from college who was a personal trainer. And in my mind, because I go to the gym all the time, I would see personal trainers. They just look like administrative people in the gym. People that just, if you got a membership at this gym, you get three free sessions with a personal trainer. I'd be in there you know, doing my exercises on my own. And the personal trainers would be coming to me, asking me what I was doing. So that made me regard them even less. Because I was like, okay, if, if you're supposed to be the expert and you're intrigued by what I'm doing, then what you're doing can't be that legit. And that was the way I saw it. One of my buddies was a trainer, not in one of these box gyms. But he was a private personal trainer. And we just happened to be talking. Good looking dude. His name is Frank McGee. Frank Moyne. I got to give him props because he's one of the reasons why I am where I am right now as a trainer. And Frank Moyne, I'm sitting with him and we're friends from college, really good friends. He's all, also um, in the music business. And he starts talking to me about how profitable training has been for him. And I couldn't believe it because I thought it was like seasonal work for kids, you know, <laughs> that happen to have good bodies and, you know, administrative work at best. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. If you have the right audience, you know, you can make money. And, we, and, and at the time, I'm just talking about nutrition. As I started talking about nutrition, his mind was kind of blown. He was like, man, like on site, we both look decent, fit, the whole nine, right? And what he was saying is that if some, he says this to me as a successful trainer in his own right, he says to me, if somebody was to walk up on us and say they need a personal trainer, we would be toe-to-toe, -to -toe, both spitting our oh, this is what you do, this is how you exercise, and on site, we would, we'd be even. He says, Cootie, the second you start talking about nutrition, I will just disappear out of the picture, and it will just be you. Now, mind you, I wasn't a trainer yet. I wasn't a trainer yet. And he said, you, he said, you should seriously consider, you know, becoming a trainer, you know, because you, you, you can nail this. And me, again, being an immigrant, I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it right. You know, I've, I've got to you know, get the right certification, the thing that's bulletproof that makes me, I don't just want some fly-by-night internet certification. I need to, and I just didn't feel like doing that work. I was like, that just seems too arduous, man. I got to study and get certified. And he said, cool, you speak all the language already. You just don't know the language yet. So once you understand the language that, and I'll say this to anybody listening, whatever it is you want to apply yourself to, learn their vocabulary. 
Because if you have an inclination towards it, you probably already understand it. You just need to know what their words are for the phenomenons that you already understand and comprehend. And once you can marry those two, you'll just be a fish swimming in water. And that's what happened with me. He was right. I looked at it. And once I understood what these words meant and studied a little Latin to get some of the physiological and biological terms down, I was like, oh, okay, I, I, know, I know what they're talking about. And I aced the test. It was a four-hour test. I crushed it in like three hours. I just did it. I mean, I, I did the test so fast, I was scared. I thought, oh, man, I, I must have messed something up. And I aced it. What was the test? For, for what? That the, um, to get certified as a personal trainer. It was, it was, mm -hmm. it was a long test. It was like a four-hour test. And I did it in like two and a half, three hours. I just was just done. And, and I was just, you know, and I think I even corrected one of their questions. I said, you know, this question is incorrect, you know, and, but you know, they didn't listen to me. But anyway, so once I, once I got certified as a trainer, I started training and word of mouth spread like wildfire. The only reason I even have social media, a website, all that stuff is because when I started doing TV interviews, they were like, we need something to refer people to. But for like the first maybe quarter mm. of my career as a trainer, I didn't even have social media. I didn't have anything. I didn't even have a business card. Mm. That, that's actually, that's what I want to uh, also kind of pinpoint. If anyone is listening and they're at the beginning of their journey, all of that stuff comes through time, right? At yeah. the beginning, you start your craft, you do your thing, you help people, you get referrals, you build that trust, you build a community. And as a result, you end up, becoming that social person that a lot of people know and you come sprung, sprinkling that with already the social medias and the news and all that stuff right yeah. yeah so um so so the transition from music industry so as you see in that conversation it just kind of flows and all of a sudden I find myself as a trainer and then when the when the client was the music business client was ready to start moving around again I was at a conundrum because I found myself really satisfied with helping other people, really satisfied and finding my, my calling in taking somebody from being totally unhealthy to reversing their type two diabetes, reversing their cholesterol, their high cholesterol, reversing their high blood pressure and even more extreme uh, health conditions that I was able to actually work through. And that's when I realized, oh, I have a gift in this whole situation. And these gifts last with these people for life. That's why I didn't need a business card because they were just, even if they didn't say anything, I'd go to, they'd invite me to some family function and I'd come there where there was a wedding that they were getting ready for, or even just a barbecue. And when I pop up, they'd say, wait, you're the guy that made him look like this? Because they've known him or her their whole life. So they're like, I've seen this guy and all of a sudden he's slim and he's, you know, he's healthy and he's not going to the hospital. He's not taking medicine anymore. And you're the reason. And, and so that became, and, and, and I'll be honest, music was that for me for a long time, for a long time, it felt great to be able to either create something or be the, the promoter of something that brought so many people joy. It's still great for me to be out and about somewhere, whether it's again uh, at a club or at a restaurant and a song comes on and it's one of these songs that are represented by these platinum plaques behind me. And I go, that was my record. Or I remember when I took that record to the, to the first radio station and, and got its, its first spin, or when it got this video, I remember these things and, it's, and that these records still stand the test of time and bring people joy every time they come on. But I will say that there was an era in the you know, early 2000s where 
that sort of kind of started to wane and the job was just more professional than anything else. I had acumen at getting artists exposed and records played and, that, and negotiating deals. So I did it, but not because I was necessarily feeling, you know, all of the music that I was working with or, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It was just something that, okay, I have, I have the ability to do this, so I'm just going to do it. Um, now that's circled back around. There's a lot of music out now that I'm really passionate about, but there was an era where I was kind of like that era where I think if I was not an executive, mm. I probably would have stopped listening to popular music. You know, and it's not to diss that era. It just, it just was an era that didn't, it didn't speak to me. With you. Yeah. It just didn't speak to me. So I'd be like, okay, I get what's going on here so I can manipulate the situation in, in those records favor, but not because I'm just hearing, like I said, I was so young when I first started that I was of the fan base. So I could hear a record and immediately appreciate it as a contemporary fan and then run out and be, you know, the, 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 the prophet of, you know, the beacon of, expo of exposure. Then it got to a point where I was like, okay, you know, this record doesn't appeal to me at all, but I can academically ascertain why a radio station or a video station should be playing it. You know, why the people need to, see, you know, why the people need to hear it. So can I, can I stop here for a sec, like just to summarize what we're dealing with here. So first you were in a business that made you happy, satisfied, realized you felt it, you enjoyed it. And then you came to a stage where it wasn't there anymore. You wasn't aligned mm -hmm. with what you were doing, but you discovered something that was also aligned with a need There's something happening in your life. And that was a big thing where you wanted to support your dad you went into it, you learned it, you've, you know, grounded your knowledge into everything that you did through natural like exposure to sport and so on. You, you got that expertise, you got wise about it, you got invited into this opportunity of actually thinking about becoming a personal trainer. Right. And then as a result, you've done that transition and you've realized that now you are receiving that satisfaction again. You obtain the feeling that you are finally also helping people and are receiving that energy exchange where you also feel that you are doing the thing that makes you happy as well at the same time. That's Correct. Nice. Correct. And I'll say another thing also was that um, the, how can I put this? The, um, helping people as a purpose was something that I sort of understood, but understood more acutely as I started training. Um, I would have continued working in the biz uh, if something didn't really pivot me, like something significant, like my father getting sick or my life situation changing. But um, I'd also say this, there's a, um, one thing I still don't like but understand about the music business and it's getting better. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a vice president at um, one of my dearest friends in life, actually, who's a vice president at, um, at a major label. And, and a lot of my friends and associates are still in the music business. And I still even have my fingers in the business. It's hard to totally extract yourself when you've you know, traveled as many miles in it as I have. But um, there are some things about the human side of being an executive in the music business. When I was in it for the longest time, it was a thankless job. These awards behind me, um, I have a few more than what you can see, but I've actually earned probably four times as many of these and just didn't get them because it just stopped being a priority to say thank you in the music business. So from a human perspective, when you're doing something and it's a thankless job, 
the exchange. The exchange know? isn't there. So you just, so you just kind of, and, and when they were paying, you know, and, and when they were and in the nineties, when money was just flowing in America and you were getting paid a handsome check to do it, you could come up with your, ah, okay, it's all right. Cause every, every two weeks you get this check that tells you, uh, but when those, when the industry went through its contraction and also they were paying you 60% of what they would pay you to do before, but asking you to do 100, 150 times, 150 percent of the work. Now you start asking hard questions like, "Why am I doing this?" Like, you know, and they make, and you know, the industry is a sexy industry to be in. You know, anytime I do an interview and somebody sees a platinum plaque behind me, no matter what, we could be talking about uh, kale. <laughs> they look and see that they don't. The kale goes out their mind. They went, "Well, what about that sting plaque over there? What about you know? What talk to me about that?" It's still so the industry knew that, so they'd be like, "Hey, if you don't want to do it, someone else will." Mm-hmm. So it becomes this thing where they make you feel like you're lucky to be working in the business. Yeah. No matter what, like you take these peanuts because you could, you have these peanuts or not, as opposed mm-hmm. to, well, I know you used to eat steak. So all that said, um, not having control over my schedule while not being thanked for it, while being paid 40% less, while being asked to do 175% more, that can break you. That can break you. So I'm like, okay, in the very least, if I can figure out how to make that same amount of money, if not more, actually make that same amount of money, but I'm doing something that's fulfilling, that every day that I do it, I know I'm making somebody's life better. And that's got reverberations on their life and everything, you know, their work and their relationships. And then people come back to me, you know, you know, you, know, you might hear some of these dings coming in now as we're interviewing. I tried to mute my, my alerts, but literally, literally the last ding that just came in said, hey, Cootie, I know you trained with such and such. I'm a friend of hers and I just referred you to somebody else. So this is not even a client of mine, somebody who knows a client of mine and is referring me to someone else because of what they've seen in their friend. That kind of stuff, you can't pay for that. And then because of who I am, because of my acumen, because of my knowledge, when I apply myself, I'll always figure out how to make more money. Always. I don't lead with it, but I'll always figure out how to make more money. I've always had. So what happens is you just help. When I focus on help, which is my purpose, focus on your purpose. And when Mm -hmm. I excel at my purpose, then the other stuff just comes, man. Mm -hmm. When did you realize that you were at the stage where you're cutting out the main aspects of your work in the music industry Mm -hmm. and you're like all in 100% towards whatever you're doing in the personal personal Um, business? When I started to find myself fulfilled, um, when I started to find myself secure in the fact that I was good at what I did, I had a client that uh, one of my first clients was an elderly man. And when I got him, he was in bad shape. He was on a bunch of blood pressure medications, a bunch of cholesterol medications. He had had three or two or three open heart surgeries. And what I did not know, because I was so young in my career, all I knew when he was presented to me is that I had to be very, very, very delicate and meticulous about what I was doing with him from a scientific, from a scientific perspective. That's all I knew. Like the the stakes were high here. What I didn't know on the other side until I helped him out of that situation and his wife came to me, tears in her eyes, about seven months after I started training with her and and, uh, gave me a card saying, thank you. And I was just like, why are you thanking me? I just 
did my job, you know? And she said, no, you don't understand. Like this guy had about six months to live. And we had done, we had done all the medical interventions we could do, the pharmaceutical interventions we could do. And we just took a last ditch effort and just said, hey, let's try personal training. And you became his trainer. And now he's on one seventh of the blood pressure meds. He's on 25% of the, of the cholesterol meds. He was hyperactive, walking miles. I would see him sometimes in the city and be like, what are you doing out here? And he said, well, I just took a stroll. And I knew where he lived. And I was like, you walked that far? And the other people would even say that knew him to be my client. They'd be like, I think I saw your client all the way out in Georgetown. And, and, and I'd be like, wow. And his wife coming to me and being you know, teary-eyed and just like, thank you. That's when I knew that I had a gift. That's when I knew that, okay, I'm exceptional with this. I'm different with this. And this could actually help a ton of people. Because if I can help this man this way, I can help a bunch of people this way. Mm. And that's when it got harder and harder to buy into the allure of being, you know, in the music business, even though I still love it. I still love music. I still got a lot of friends and, and people that I consider family in the mm -hmm. business. I still consult some people, you know, um, up until 2018, 2019, I was still managing artists. Um, but that's when it became hard to prioritize the mm -hmm. business because the business is so subjective. You know, it's not a meritocracy. You know, in some cases it is, and, and, I, and I don't want to take anything away from the people that I know that are excellent at what they do, but a lot of times people are just fortunate. It's just, okay, I like you, or mm -hmm. I think you're cute, or you're dynamic, so you can work with me. You know, there is no, if you get certified and fill in the blank, you can become an executive yeah. or an artist. It's very subjective. They, they, you could be the best person on your staff, and what happens is the person above you gets fired. A new person comes in and that person has his team or her team and you're gone. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been. And so that level of subjectivity and that volatility, while it helped, it helped me shape how to move in the era now as an entrepreneur, because it helped me be self-reliant and give me that confidence. Mm -hmm. But as far as like depending on that for your livelihood, it's, it's once you've seen the other side and seen that you can survive without mm -hmm. it, is and help people at the same time is very hard to just say, I'm going to subject myself to that. How long did it take you in terms of time just to provide a, a frame? Because like, it sounds like it was a matter of maybe a year. <laughs> How mm. long did it really take for you to make that transition and understanding that you've got this, you, you, you successfully transitioned? That's a good question, man. Again, I would love to make it to pitch it like I just really expertly lined it up. But the fact is, it took, in a lot of instances, the subjectivity of the music industry where they were just like, okay, cool. Um, I remember being going from being a hired um, employee of record labels to being a free agent um, independent contractor. As an independent contractor, you really got to gauge as to how the money really flowed. Mm -hmm. So, because you were part of a separate budget and that budget to do that work, that's when I actually could actually mathematically ascertain that, oh, we used to get paid this much to do this. Now the contracts, no matter what label I go to, are offering this much to do this. And now they're offering this much to do this. And it became unsustainable. It was just, it was just too much time, too much effort. So... Um, but I'll say in terms of like an actual calendar mark on it, I'll say there was a transition that probably took about 
mm, two, two and a half years to really go, oh. okay, this is not it. But I will say this, don't use no, that as- not, not just that this is not it, but actually uh, fully switching from music to personal training. Right. And again, like I said, I even when I thought I'd be, there'd be times where I was 100% mm -hmm. uh, fitness and then somebody would call like, Cootie, you are specifically are the person that I need to broker this situation. Yeah. I, and, and, and I'd be like, okay, well, I don't do that anymore. I don't want to hear it. You're doing it. And depending on who was asking, I would respond. So I, I, like I said, I, even now, I still consult people, you know, even, mm -hmm. even right now. Well, but, yeah, it's just like self-reliance first. On but the what I will say is this, any transition I made, even within the music business, like, okay, am I going to go from being um, uh, an executive to an air personality, an air personality to a manager, a manager to, you know, an, an artist? What I always tell people is whatever your next plan is. So I always call the next plan, plan A. Whatever plan you're in right now is plan B. So you got your plan B and that's what's sustaining you. If we're talking specifically about work, you got your plan B, that's your job. That's your vocation. That's your that livelihood. When your plan A can generate about 70 to 75% of the income that your plan B does, that's a good time to take a leap of faith and just jump onto your plan and your next plan A and then boost that up to being what it is. Mm. So anybody that's trying to transition from one thing to another, you know, like I said, I'm an immigrant. Immigrants, we don't give up jobs. <laughs> you know, we don't, we, we keep, we, you know, we hold on, we, we don't just jump out here and just do anything for anything's sake. So what I was saying is if whatever you're doing, if you're currently, I don't know, uh, an office administrator, but you want to become a public speaker, there's going to be time where there's going to be a friction point because you're going to be doing both. And build up your legs as a public speaker, build up your legs as a public speaker, start getting, start earning for it. And when you start to see that there's a trend towards you earning about 70 to 75% as a public speaker, as you were earning as an administrative assistant, that to me is the time to say, okay, now I've got an acumen with my plan A, let me transition to that and make that my full-time thing. And if that, and that's either your thing from here on out or until the next idea comes along. Mm. And basically what we are having here, just for example's sake, uh, the transition from one occupation that was for a majority of your life felt like this is the thing. Yes. And this was my livelihood. This is something I'm pursuing for life. And you then the, that switch, that realization, change in the market, change. And, you know, it's actually a great example because what we're experiencing now in the modern day and age with everything that is happening in the industry, everything that is happening with the tech world and advancements and the potential recession that is coming up, all of that is an example of what you went through where things are going sideways and now you need to make a decision, okay, it's not working out and it potentially will break at a certain point of time and make a new plan. Look at- Alan, you're so correct, man. Down. You're so, so correct, Alan. I mean, I didn't even think about it till someone mentioned it to me. But when COVID hit, I started training virtually. I was, I was, I was a trainer that would train people one-on-one -on -one in person. I had contracts at three different gyms, plus I was in people's homes privately. Now, I, for one, I'm not going to get into the politics of vaccination, non-vaccination, but like I, for one, was somebody that was very secure in my health. But what I was also aware of is that I could be an asymptomatic carrier. And I didn't want to be the one. I, I just told you, I, I, my dad had just come through a, an ordeal that took him you know, mm -hmm. to the hospital for a whole year in 2019. And after surviving that, I was like, the last thing I want to do is bring something to him innocuously because I'm bouncing between gym and gym and gym and home and home and home and also get him sick and now he's gone. 
You know, my mother is of the age where, although she's healthy, you know, she's, she's vulnerable. I had a young, I have a young kid and, you know, the, we still don't know what that, what this means for them down the line. So as I'm trying to pay attention to all these things, the safest thing for me to do was to train virtually. And now that I'm training virtually, that opened up the door for me time-wise, as opposed to getting up at 3 a.m., getting ready for the day, leaving at 4, training this person, driving to that person, driving to that person. I could get up, wake up in the morning, boom, talk out, like just like how I'm communicating with you now, and effectively train people and still get results. And being able to pivot like that, people now that you know the vaccine vaccines have been around for a while and, and COVID's been a thing for about two and a half years and people things are starting to open back up. You know, everybody's asking, gyms are asking me, um, you know, clients are asking me, hey, so you're going to start coming out? And I was like, no, you know, because I actually, I figured out that pivot. How much was I making as an in-person trainer? How much is I making as a virtual trainer? All of a sudden I could make more as a virtual trainer because I could economize time. I'm getting more rest for myself. So I'm being healthier than I've been mm -hmm. in 15 years just because I'm getting rest. Right. And mm. then it allowed me to do other things. We talk about transition. I've been lecturing on the university level this year for the first time and it's been going swimmingly well. And I see an avenue that actually ties into my whole music industry um, background. Mm -hmm. I see I see a clear path for the synergy of my ability to communicate, my ability to instruct, which training unwittingly has been honing for the last, you know, 15 plus years, as well as my acumen in the music industry, there is a lane for me in academia at the university level with that. So mm. we talk about transition, that's going to be, that's the next transition. You see, and, and these transitions are now starting to be things that are just a way of life for me because I'm instinctively and reflexively mm -hmm. able to pivot when oh, these opportunities, yeah, I can go with the flow now. And, and, uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, it hasn't got quite, it hasn't quite gotten to, that's 75% yet, but it's trending there very quickly. Mm. So all of a sudden here I am in a, in a position of power because I'm able to pivot. You know, COVID was the most recent thing that caused the pivot, mm -hmm. even within my fitness game. So you're right. You know, th this era, if, if we are savvy and can look back on our experiences, even when they're not the best in terms of transition and change, if we, nav if we pay attention to the trends and how we navigated those past challenges, they will definitely inform us in the future. And like I said, right now the world is in flux, but the funny part is, I've, I, not that I saw it coming, you know, but I kind of saw, okay, this is unsustainable. Me just, you know, getting up at three in the morning, training people from back to back, that's, that's, gonna, that's gonna get, like I said, I'm 50, man. You know, people say, I don't look it, I don't want to start. Definitely. I was about yeah. to say like, dude, you look yeah. like you're, I don't know, 35 max. <laughs> no, God bless. But, but I don't want to start looking it. And if I'm not careful at some point, I'm going to run out of miles. So I had to do things to kind of start helping me sustain and rest was one of them. And, mm. and fortunately I haven't been, you know, gotten sick with COVID or anything like that. But, um, you know, COVID for me, navigating this era has actually been a godsend it just it just absolutely gave me the pause that i needed to be able to re realign things and then start moving in a different direction so even now within mm -hmm. fitness i'm i've pivoted you know to a virtual training yeah and, what, what uh, helped you like in this transition um and of course it it also builds up on every other transition that you've had in life what this transition into virtual trainer uh, activity, what supported you to successfully make that transition? What, what was there for you? So what happened was, again, serendipity. I, I, um, I had two clients that I had just started training about three months before COVID hit. 
And both of them were starting to see marvelous results immediately. I was training them in person. Both of them traveled a lot for work. So they were like, hey, I don't want, they were nervous about taking breaks away from me because we weren't gonna see each other. So one suggested, one just said, he said, hey, you have an iPhone, I have an iPhone, we're gonna use FaceTime. You just tell me three items, uh, three fitness um, tools mm. I can I can pack with me. And instead of going to a hotel, I go to an Airbnb and, and you know, you'll just train me. So I was still going to the gym, but I would set up my phone and give him instruction through the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because people in the gym were looking at me like, who are you talking to? And I, I was like, oh, I have, I have a client, you know, uh, you know, on my phone. And so people were like, that's weird. But, you know, I just did it. So then when the other guy started traveling and was worried about his staff, I said, you know what, we can do, um, I think we use Zoom. I said, okay, we can just do it on Zoom. We did that. They maintained their success. Fast forward, four months later, boom, COVID hits. And at first I was like, okay, I'll try to train people and just be prestigious, wear a mask, you know, have, you know, Lysol and alcohol wipes and all this stuff, gloves. But then again, the notion of me being an asymptomatic carrier came. This is pre-vaccine. And I was like, okay, I cannot be, and I had clients from age 20 all the way to 89. And I said, and I just, my empathy for them and my desire to help them trumped anything that I, in terms of money or whatever, I was like, hey, I cannot get these people sick. I cannot be responsible for their, that's, that's absolutely and the antithesis of what I'm about. So I asked all of them, I said, hey, look, I'm going to give each, each of you a free session virtually. And then, you know, we'll see if you like it. And if not, and then we'll go from there. This is before even gym started shutting down. Now, about 25% of them, for various reasons, were like, you know, we didn't know how long this was going to last. So some of them was like, you know what, let's just wait it out and see what happens. Um, some other people were like, they were tech averse, so they just didn't get it. Some people were like, I want my trainer beside me. I said, I understand it, but I don't, I don't want to be responsible for getting you sick. So, you know, we'll stay in touch, no hard feelings. But, but 75% of my, of my um, client base, even some of the elderly ones, stayed with me. I, all the while I've been doing TV interviews, podcast interviews, radio interviews. When I, typically when I did this before, I might get a new Facebook follower or a new Instagram follower. Or somebody might go to my website. But now, but every time what would happen back then was someone would hit me from Seattle or, or from Scotland and be like, hey, I'd love to train with you. You know, I wish there was a way I could train with you. And I'd be like, hey, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm here in D.C. Now... Somebody from North Carolina or Philadelphia would hit me and they say, hey, you know, I'd love to train you. I was like, we can train virtually. So now that 25%, that spot, those spots got filled immediately because I started having clients nationally and internationally. With the time that I got, I was able to uh, build out a whole 90-day program that's virtual. So a 90-day program that's virtual and automated with some live effects so I can customize it for each. Cause I still, I, I take the personal part of personal training seriously. So I came up with the six week super you program, which is actually a 12 week program, a 90 day program that helps people build a healthy lifestyle with information, with super facts, with, um, help with uh, nutrition, super foods, and with efficient exercise, super moves. So the super moves, super foods, super facts are the six week super you. I was able to create this with the time that COVID now provided me and now I'm able to help even more people remotely training them through that program as well. So mm-hmm. in addition to my live one-on-ones, I have cohorts every month or so that, um, that when people are interested, and if somebody's interested in watching this, you know, if you're interested in just getting a healthy lifestyle, actually, if you're not, even if you're not interested, but you, let's say you want to just kind of get a handle, you used to be healthy, 
and you don't find yourself healthy anymore, or you've been trying something and it hasn't worked for you as a lifestyle. If you hit me, just DM me, find me on Instagram at K-U-T-I-M-A-C-K. If you hit me, DM me, tell me that you heard me on this show. And I'll give you, a, usually my consultations cost a couple hundred dollars. I'll give you a free consultation just to assess where you are, get to the, get to the root of whatever your issue is. And I'll even give you something that if you've never engaged with me professionally, I promise you, if you do what I ask you to do, it'll help you be better than you were yesterday. And then if you want to engage with me, you can participate in the six-week Super U program. You can go to sixweeksuperu.com. It's uh, the number six, sixweeksuperu.com. And just put your information there if you're interested, and I'll send you some information about it, and we can dialogue and see if it works for you. But the six-week Super U program, I came up with that. So now I've been able to help even more people over mm -hmm. a broader stretch, over a broader spectrum and platform worldwide because of COVID. So yeah, that pivot you know, has helped me tremendously in terms of fulfilling my purpose and you know one of the great examples you've shared right now i think uh, a lot of people need to pay more attention towards that is that every time opportunities are around us we just need to listen like yeah. as you said right the, the example of people asking you already can you can you do it online like i don't know what to offer you but eventually like you you've discovered through another perspective like you learned it you, and you were able to offer it so kind of listening to what is going on around you. What are the requests? What are the needs? What kind of people's struggles are? And when, when you realize that, like uh, this is a show for entrepreneurs. So the idea is that us as entrepreneurs, we, we solve problems. We help people to kind of find what is not working and help them make it work. And uh, the thing is, what when we start listening to people around us, we start seeing opportunities, and opportunities are the, the what is missing in people's lives. And you yes. were actually everything that you were sharing, you were doing exactly that. You were you you heard something that was missing, and you took that opportunity. You looked into it, and you further and further. And every transition that you're making, you're actually listening to what's going on around you, and that's a beautiful example of what you're dealing with. Now. Touching, you, you touched that you have the program, right? Be best, uh, be your, your best, best daily. Yeah, yep. And yep. Uh, in terms of there, you said you work on fitness, on mentality, on lifestyle in general to improve the holistic spectrum of, of health, healthy living, right? Yeah. And uh, you've mentioned one thing we had a conversation last time is that you help clients to reconnect with a min winning mentality, re reconnect with being able to do the things that will make the lifestyle better will make the health better and so on now in that connection like for me reconnecting is getting back to my values getting back my boundaries taking care of myself now what does reconnecting with uh, reconnecting and helping to reconnect uh, clients with themselves what does it mean to you and within your framework reconnecting what it means to me that's a beautiful question uh, it's I talked about the tree, super trio, super food, super facts, and super moves. Uh, there's a super trio I think of, which is reflection, resetting or recharging, and then refueling. Mm. So when we reconnect, when what I like to do is reflect. I'm, I've, I've been a, a self-reflective person as a habit for life. But a lot of us don't actively do this. Even as we're talking now, it's funny. I, I listened to myself talk to you about my story. And I started noticing what you noticed that, wow, somebody said this and I listened. Somebody said that and I listened. Somebody said that and I didn't even understand or agree with it, but I listened. 
and and those moves have always led to success. So reflecting on what it is that you want to do, and then and what it is that you can do to just like I said, be your best daily is is a, is a mantra of mine and it's my brand. But it's about just incremental change because in, consistency is always going to trump intensity. You can have an intense workout today, but if this is the only workout you have this month, it doesn't really matter. But if you have a mild workout today, but do it every day for the next 30 days, you'll see results. So being your best daily on an incremental level, on, in the simplest terms, just what could you do? What did you do today that didn't make today so hot? And how can you change that for tomorrow? And then what did you do that you accomplished? What, what, what are you grateful for? What, what is it that, that happened that you're like, hey, man, you know, that was pretty cool what just happened. Whether it was just a hug or an accomplishment, a task being accomplished. And then getting adequate sleep, <laughs> recharging, resetting your priorities for the next day. Okay, tomorrow, if I just do this one thing, soup to nuts, get it finished, it'll make tomorrow a better day than today was. And then refueling, putting proper stuff in your body so that you biologically are equipped to handle the stress of the day, that you have enough energy to do what the day requires of you. If you can do those three things, for me, that's how I reconnect. You know, I, 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 I reflect, I reset, recharge, refuel. Mm. And when I'm at my best, I do those on a daily basis. Got you. In terms of working with clients, how do you help your client make sure that they succeed in those three steps? Great question. Um, helping clients to succeed in those three steps, what I do is I, I take copious notes on every one of my clients. Every one of my clients is a case study. And so there's some, there's some things that I can aggregate that, okay, this works for men, this works for women, this works for pregnant women, this works for a woman who just, who just um, had a baby, this works for a man who's over 40. And I have various different subsets and I distill that information to the lowest common denominator. And that's actually what the Six Week Super You is, is, is uh, the culmination of. All of that research and data, just distilling, okay, what exercises if somebody, most of the people I deal with are successful in every aspect of their life, except for being fit, except for being healthy, except for having a healthy mindset. So I saw those as out points, as areas that need fixing. And then most of them, because they've got such a successful life, they don't have time. So, so they could figure out, you know, they could read the books that I read and go through 15, 16, 17 years of training to figure out, you know, what the thing is. Or I can just distill all of that into some bite-sized, lowest, lowest common denominator information. So what I do is I, I present the, the answers. I've got answers when it comes down to detoxifying your body. I've got answers when it comes down to building strength, burning fat, uh, de-stressing, um, um, balance. Uh, you know, so I have all of those things are modules within the six week super you that I that I just deliver or if I'm training somebody same thing if they get a nutritional consultation from me. I'm talking to them about the things that they can do that literally in the shortest amount of time possible will help them be successful at reconnecting to their former healthy selves or that healthy self that they've been aspiring towards but never quite achieved. You mentioned one thing about distressing like in in, in nowadays like. Uh, especially in the West, like everywhere, like whatever we look at the world, right? There, there is a lot of things that make us worry, that makes us stressed. It's not just work. It's not just day-to-day -day life. Like everything around us is just seems so volatile. Now, what can you suggest to the listeners 
as a you know a quick tip a quick uh, suggestion of um like we finished the day we're home what can we do to quickly de-stress our body and reconnect that's a great question what can you do nothing when i say nothing i'm not saying that you there's nothing you can do what i'm saying is do nothing so much information is like i said you hear pings coming in right now so much information is just coming at us all, all the time you know we, people just have access to us all the time we have access to people and information all the time at our fingertips we're married to our smartphones and our digital applications while technology is great uh, the convenience will always come at a cost at a human cost and so what i'm learning to do increasingly increasingly is less there used to be a time where i was like oh i wish i had 36 hours in the day I wish there were two or three of me so I could get all these things done. And now I'm like, no, there are 24 hours in the day for thousands, millions of years. That's the way it's existed. And it's not until now in the 20th, 21st century that all of a sudden it's not enough time to get done what needs to be done. It's because we're doing too much. So the one thing I would tell you to do is to sit still. Literally in 60 seconds, you can sit down, turn everything off and just breathe. Inhale for four or five seconds, hold it for two or three seconds, exhale. And literally set a timer for 60 seconds and just do that. And you'll be amazed at how much clearer and, and how less volatile everything feels by just giving yourself 60 seconds to breathe. I'll remind everyone listening and watching, our primary fuel source is not food. People go on fast all the time. Where they eat little to no food. Our primary fuel source is not water. You could go a day without drinking water. Now it would just—you'll feel wrecked for it. You won't—you won't feel great. Your body's going to start to shut down on you. Your skin will get dry, but you won't die. You go mm, five, six minutes without breathing, or less. I was just reading a story the other day on the, some swim competition internationally, and one of those uh, those creative swimmers. And the woman, you know, they hold their breath for a long amount of time. And the woman literally Fast fainted down. underwater. Underwater, can you imagine? And that's her job. Mm. But, you know, even with it being her job, and she's one of the best in the world, and it wasn't the first time it happened. <laughs> that's why her, her, her coach was able to rescue her because her coach recognized what was happening. My point being, you stop breathing, and it's over quick. So every now and then, if you think about it, when we're, when we're at our most upset or unhealthy, one of the first signs is our breathing is interrupted. What makes COVID so lethal is that it messes with your lungs, your oxygen intake. Um, when you're sick, you take you know, a cough drop. When the menthol hits your system and you can breathe clearly, that's the first time you start to feel better, even if you're still sick. When you sleep, you breathe deeper than you ever do when you're conscious because you're in a total state of rest. Oxygen is our main fuel source, our main repair. So that's the one simple tip. It took me longer to explain it than it will take for it to work for you. Sit still and just breathe. Fact. Any additional, like in terms of having balance in life and taking care of yourself, what self-care rituals do you have in your life that you feel that others should implement as well? Um, in addition to just practicing that pause that I talked about, just sitting still, when you, especially when you start to feel yourself triggered or worked up, just sitting still. Um, 
So the pause, but um, I have a BYBD bedtime blueprint. And what I do with the BYBD bedtime blueprint, and when I'm doing this, I am absolutely at my productive best. I'll give it to you all for free. Here's what I do. Um, so I, I, I take about 10 minutes before I actually go to sleep. And once you get into the habit of this, it won't take 10 minutes at all. It, it, it can happen in seconds. All right. Take about 10 minutes. And I think about the day. And I think about, okay, what did I get? What did I, what's the one thing I accomplished today that I'm really proud of? Right. Pat myself on the back for it. And then I think about what is the one thing that if I go to sleep tomorrow, not having it done, I'll be kicking myself. You ever had like a productive day, but just that one thing you didn't do, that bill you didn't pay or that, or that chore you didn't do. And every time you see it, you're like, oh gosh, I still got to do that. Whatever that thing is, be clear about what that thing is before you go to bed and purpose yourself to do it and hopefully do it before 11 a.m. the next day. That's key, not imperative, but it's key to finish it, not just start it, but to finish it before 11 a.m. the next day. And then last but not least, I think about something just really cool, whether it's an amazing song I heard that day, whether it's an amazing moment with my kid, whether it's a moment with my dad from mm. when I was a kid, or just something that just really, when you think about you it, your heart can't, gratitude. yeah, you just, that your heart can't help but smile when you think about it mm. and go to sleep. I promise you, you'll have the best night of sleep you ever had. You'll wake up purposed to accomplish something. And when all else fails, the day is, is struggling, just know, oh, wait, that one thing I need to do, let me do it. And when there's a free moment, you dedicate your energy towards doing it. And once you have it done, especially if you have it done before 11 a.m., again, not, not imperative, but it really helps. If you have it done by 11 a.m., there's a power that you will have that you have accomplished that task. Because a lot of times we have these to-do lists that are, 20, 30 items long, and we start and chip away at them all, but we never finish any of them. But if you say, okay, I'm going to knock off just one of those items a day, just one, within five to seven days, even if you fell off track, you, like within a week, you would have accomplished five of those things completely done off the list. Check, 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 check. Now your list gets shorter and shorter. Now life will introduce new things. You know, there's things that will happen. You know, my kid will come up with something. Okay, now that becomes a priority. No big deal prioritize that before you go to bed. Okay, I got this thing to do, but uh, I got to do this with my kid. Boom, that's the one thing, make sure that is done. Wake up that morning, get it done, boom. It's off the list, next day, get back to your priority. So, so you reprioritize every evening, reflect on what you accomplished, which, is, which will be easier to do once you start to set the priority for the next day, because that'll be the thing that you'll be thankful for at the end of the day that you did, right? Mm -hmm. And then think about something that you're just really grateful for. And if you can rinse and repeat that, you actually will be your best daily. Incrementally, you'll just be accomplishing things. There's a power that comes with that. And there's a whole bunch of other things that the universe will open up to you as you continue to do that. And again, if, you, if, you, if you're your best daily, I like to say this, you, if you string seven straight days of being your best together, you've had your best week ever. If you string four of those weeks together, you've had your best month ever. If you string... 12 of those months together, you've had your best year ever. And if you string 10 of those years together, you've had your best decade ever. And if you trip up at any point along the way, you just start over again. But you'll be amazed at how productive your life will become, no matter what the circumstances are that, are, that seem to be working against you. I'm a living witness. Mm. And to summarize, wrap up, and pick the juices and berries out of everything you've shared, what would you say 
our listeners, what, what can they pay attention to this year, take into account everything that is happening in the world, in life? Uh, what can they do to be the best version of themselves this year? Give themselves credit for being here. If, if you, if, even if you're at the lowest moment in your life right now, if you're at the lowest, and I'm saying, trust me, like not even that far in the past, I've gone through some hell, okay? But the, if you can think about the worst thing that ever happened to you, right? Just really think about it for a second. Reflect on it. The fact that you can reflect on it means one of two things. Either A, you survived it, or B, you're surviving it. You're surviving it. Like right now, it's hell life is hell, but you're here able to look back at it. More times than not, the worst that we fear doesn't really occur. It may come close, but it doesn't really occur. I've been studying fear the last couple of years because like I said, I've been going through some stuff and I realized that fear is just us making real the worst case scenario and making it so real that it paralyzes us from taking a step forward. I'm not saying that fears aren't rooted in real things. I wanna be very clear. Our fears are rooted in some real considerations, but in actuality, the manifestation of them rarely pans out as bad as we think they're gonna be. And like I said, if we can reflect on it, it already means that we're winning. So no matter how bad things seem to be externally, and again, in the information age, in the techno technological age, and social media, we're going to get bombarded with all the bad stuff that happens. And it makes it seem like everything is just bad all of the time. But when you think of some of the worst things that are happening external to you, ask yourself how many of those things have actually happened to you. Like in America, you see, you got this problem with shootings, right? And I know people who've gotten shot. I've when I was younger, been in situations where I've seen, you know, gunfight. I'm not proud of it. But I've never been shot and I'm 50. Right? So while these shootings are an issue and we got to keep our antenna up, we got to do what we can legislative from a legislative perspective and from a social perspective to kind of diminish that, the fact remains that life will go on and most of us are not that misfortunate. And for those of us that are, like, like with me, I'm here to help. So even if I haven't gone through those things, I'm here to help people deal with those things. But what I would tell somebody is, all the stuff that's coming at you now, pause. Stop. Breathe. Reconnect. Reset. Reprioritize. Recharge. Because if you're not healthy, you can't deal with any of this stuff. You know, you, you'll just be scrambling the whole time. You get yourself healthy, fortified from the inside, whether we're talking about mindset or actual nutrition, really, I'd say both. If you do that, you can be your best. And being your best on a continuum will start to have influence on whatever sphere of influence you have. And accumulate through time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Beautifully said. And uh, to support kind of the idea about the fears and what we're dealing with, like when we look at cognitive behavioral uh, therapy and we look at the protocols of dealing with, uh, with anxiety, dealing with uh, panic and fear and so on, one of the biggest things that we do is reconnecting with the here and now. 
what is really happening compared to what is automatically spinning in our minds mm -hmm. so getting out of our minds and reconnecting with the reality of what is actually happening really serves the purpose of calming down of relaxing and getting reconnected realigned with what we're dealing here and now in this moment so really beautiful thoughts and thank you for sharing your journey thank you for sharing these uh, interesting insights and uh, uh, I'm glad to be interviewing a band that's not only been through so many experiences in your life like helping others promote themselves get themselves out there and help music be spread to the world but also now helping others to live a better life and uh, in many cases we can say saving lives because nutrition you never know if you if you mistreat your body you never know when it, it can break and give up and that's a big deal and uh, yeah thank you for being you thank you for dealing you know, with everything that you're dealing with and yeah it was my pleasure to interview you and uh Kuri, it was yeah great having you here man alan this is a this is a pleasure it is an honor thank you for sharing your platform i love what you do and how you do it and um, this, this was excellent. Thank you. Have a great one. You too, man. Have a great one. Be your best.